0: Well, I hope here you can see me well. Good evening, all of you. Amen. It's uh, <clears throat> my joy to be with you here tonight. I want to thank the pastor, Jeff, and, uh, and your team for giving us an opportunity to come here this evening and share with you from God's Word. Uh, I have been with Richard now, uh, for I think we are almost starting the fourth week, so we've really been going around the country uh preaching, talking about God's work and our work, uh, what we do in in Rwanda. It's been a blessing at first, it was really very cold, so I, I, I was wondering if I was going to manage, <laughs> but thank God that <laughs> I, I, it seems I've managed, you know <laughs> Sometimes it would really be freezing, but, you know, you are freezing, but somebody's just in a jacket. So, <laughs> thank you so much, Richard, for, uh, Richard paid my ticket over to UK and organized all the, the tours we've done. It, it's, I'm sure it, it really took him a lot of time and, and, and thank you. But on the other side, we've really seen the hand of God in our tour. Because uh, we are concluding on a very high note. When we just came to Richard's brother's house, Charles, we were greeted with a birthday cake, very delicious cake. So we enjoyed that one. And now we come to the church and it is Holy Communion. And you know, being an Anglican clergy, you know what Holy Communion means to us. So <laughs> I, 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 I mean that's a, that's divine appointment. So I'm, I'm I'm really very happy for that. Uh, back at home, I am married. Uh, I have three children. The first one is a boy. He's 14 years old. The second one is a girl who is 12 years old, and the third one is a boy of five years old. Uh, I am uh, a pastor of a local church, just like, like this. Uh, I do three things. I'm a pastor of a local church uh, with daily duties of a pastor. And then I am a preacher. I go around in our town preaching, talking about Jesus. So I am used to being in every church that loops in any way. So, and then, I, I am a charismatic Anglican. You understand that? So, charismatic Anglicans in Rwanda, they are called the Pento-Anglicans, you know? <laughs> you know? Pento-Anglicans are these kind of Anglicans that have a tendency towards, you know, charismatism, something like that. And, and, and apart from being a pastor and a preacher, I, I am an educationalist. I really totally believe that for our country to make strides, to make steps forward, we must educate our children. We must give them opportunities. We must show them the future. I, I, in fact, we say in Rwanda that education is Zirumnani. Uh, you know, you put some, somebody on a roundabout... That has eight directions. And so they choose where to go. So what we are doing. And what I'm doing. uh, With Richard. Is to expose the Rwandan children. To eight directions. By giving them education. If they want. They will begin speaking English. If they want. They will speak French. If Just telling them. Hey. Here is the world. Go. Go. Go be what. You want God wants you to be now because I also love preaching, and because it is my last evening, so I think you are in for a, a treat. Uh, so shall we turn our Bibles to Colossians, Paul's epistle to Colossians, chapter three, uh, verse twelve to seventeen. And I'm preaching a Rwandan sermon. I am not, I'm sure you are not escaping. I think all the doors are locked. So, <laughs> now, in, in, in my church, I was last day in my church on uh, the last Sunday was 6th of, of, of March. We had been meeting under trees from, uh, I think, from 2007. And we had been building a stubborn building. It was, it is very different. In Rwanda, you build, when money runs out, you stop. When you get more money, then you build on. So we, we built fairly quickly. But when we got to the roof, it really became very stubborn. We didn't get money. So we kept, you know, we tried to fundraise amongst ourselves. Because with the roof, you know, we have to go to the factory and order all the, the tin roof, the iron sheets, the corrugated iron sheets. So you, by the way, you do you understand the Rwandan accent? Yes. Are, are you sure those behind? Yes. So I keep going. It's okay. Yes. That's very excellent. You know, I am getting encouraged. It seems I am finishing this trip having concluded that there is no problem. Everybody understands my accent. Okay. <laughs> Anyway, the roof became very serious for us. We, we we tried putting money together, but it wasn't getting enough. And we did it for over a year. And we tried the second year, the third year. And we, we were almost giving up. But finally, we managed to put on the roof. And so on the 6th of March is when we fellowshiped in our church that had a roof on. No windows yet. No doors, you remember we don't have this coldness as you have here, so we can go in. And so we were very happy. So my people and I agreed that we cannot just get out, you know, move away from the mango trees without saying thank you to them. You know, that may sound Rwandan, but when you go, when you fellowship under mango, mango trees for three, four years, you kind of develop an attachment to the mango trees. So we were really attached to our mango trees. And so we went and asked our bishop to come and walk us out from the mango trees into the church. So the bishop comes. You know, have you seen the Anglican bishops? They put on all these sorts of purple lobes and so sort on. Of. So he comes and he's put on, on his purple and we say, Bishop Lewis... This is how the service is going to be. You know, that's a commandment. Do it. Don't want to go away. So, <laughs> we are first going to go, and before we leave the mango trees as a congregation, you are going to offer a prayer on our behalf. You are going to say, thank you, God, for the mango trees, and you are going to thank the mango trees, and thank God who, you know, who kept them for us. So, he, he obeyed. But he did it. And then he walked us into the building. It was a very powerful service. Quite freezing. We could feel the presence of God. We prayed and prayed. We sang. We danced. You should have been there. Our service went on from 9.30 to 1.30 in the afternoon. Now, even after at one thirty, we did not finish we went to share our lunch, all of us together as a church, outside. Now, by this time, our bishop in his purple, he had put down all the gear. He, he just joined in and enjoyed. And then after that, people went to celebrate in their families. It was until 8 o'clock that people began to go home. So it seems you are going to go home at past something. I'm sure it is about to be 8 here. <laughs> So that's the type of a church I come from. That's the type of a church I come from. Let's read from God's Word. Colossians 3, verse 12. Before I get to chapter 3 and verse 12, I just wanted you to show, I want to show you how Paul was dealing with the church of the Colossians. If you see chapter 2 and read the heading, I don't know if your Bible has a heading, mine does, it says, not philosophy, but Christ. Paul was dealing with Colossians who were philosophers. They wanted to philosophize the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. So Paul was saying, friends, it's not about philosophy. We are not talking about philosophy. We are talking about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. So put aside the philosophy. Let us, put, let us talk about Jesus. Now, if you go to the end of verse 10, verse 10 of chapter 2, you are going to see another heading. He says, this time the heading says, Not legalism, but Christ. So he's saying, "Corinthians, it's not about the law. Don't put the law forward. Let not life be about the law, but Christ. Because Christ transcends the law. He is beyond the law. He doesn't put off the law, but he is beyond the law. So he says, don't concentrate on the law. Concentrate on Christ, the Son of God, the risen one, the one who is all-powerful, the almighty. In him we live and move and have our being. And so if you continue again and go to chapter 3 this time, before you read verse 1, you are going to see another heading. He says, not carnality, but Christ. Because in the Colossian church, there were lots of acts of cano cano acts or, or what we call the lusts of the flesh and the cares of this world. They were all, all involved and mixed up in the church in 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 this, this 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 city so paul says you know quit that quit that it's time for christ so now we can move to uh, to our chapter or to our our verses and before you read verse 12 you see the heading it says the character of a new man so verse 12 reads therefore As the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. What he's saying, in fact, this is the gospel that we preach in Rwanda. In Rwanda, we don't do a lot. You have seen a lot of work. Different things that we do. We don't do them in in our name. We don't do them to promote our names, everybody, to say how great we are. We do them in the name of Christ. And so, our gospel to the Rwandans, you have heard about Rwanda. Uh, Jeff was talking about Rwanda. In 1994, almost Rwanda as a nation came at a standstill. You know, out of the seven, if you met seven Rwandans in 1994, one of them died. And the, seven, the, the six who remained, we say in Tinyarwanda, They died while standing and walking, but they walk, you know, the walking dead. Do you have that in English? Yeah, the walking dead, because their hearts were breathing. Their hearts were hot, And so that was the type of a nation that Rwanda was in 1994. I remember... We had, in 1994, we had over 500,000 young widows. Over 500,000 young widows in their 20s, in their 30s. And we had over 100,000 child-headed homes. These are homes which are just headed by a child. This is where you find the parents died, the next-of-kin died... You know, our Gwandan families are not like the families of the English, where you say father, mother, and children. No, ours involve uncle, auntie, sister, cousin. and and... But you would find a child who has lost parents, has lost cousins, has lost anybody of the next kin. And a child of 10 years is looking after the siblings, 8, 6, 4. And you find them living on their, them living on their, on their own. And those families were over four hundred, were over one hundred thousand. And then, as if to in 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 in, in, in ninety five, we ha- we had over one hundred and forty thousand prisoners. And remember, our population was a population of eight million. So that. We had 140, that shows you almost 20% of the working force of men and women were in prison. The rest of the children were child-headed. Others were widows. Talk about orphans. We had over a million orphans scattered all around the world. In fact, some of them got lost in this, got lost in the West here. Up to today, we've never found them. So that was the country we lived in. But time came for us. We had to make a decision. Are we living or not living? I remember our president was being interviewed recently. They asked him, they said, President Pokagame, how did you manage not to revenge? How did you survive that you did not revenge? This is what he said. He said, I had no reasons to be angry. I had no reasons to revenge. But for the sake of the future of Rwanda, I made a decision not to revenge. I had the power and the ability to revenge. But for the sake of the future of Rwanda, I made a decision not to revenge. And so, as we read these verses, I want you to read them, to imagine them, to imagine Rwanda of those days. Shall we read verse 12 again? Therefore, as elect of God, holy and beloved, Put on tender mercies. So our gospel is that in Rwanda we say, Friends, put on tender mercies. Let it be your garment. You know here Paul says, put on. He doesn't say, please begin talking the words of tender mercies. No. He doesn't say, read the word the, the books that talk about tender mercies. No. He doesn't say, go watch a a movie about tender mercies. No. He says, put it on. It should be a garment. So, as if somebody sees you, he sees you in a garment of tender mercies. And then he continues to say, kindness. Put on kindness as well. For us in Rwanda, we have been animals to each other. We have killed each other. We have done what it takes to destroy each other. But we are saying time has come, and time is now to put on kindness, to show kindness to each other. And he goes on, he goes on, and says, humility, meekness, and patience. You must put on patience. You must put on patience. Let it be your garment. And verse 13 says, bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do so, or must do likewise. So our gospel says, forgive one another. It is time to forgive one another. It is time to forgive one another. I remember when we began saying, it is time to forgive. We had a lot of problems. They wrote about us in the media. All the medias were talking, come and see what these preachers are saying. They have joined the killers. They are telling us to forgive. How do you forgive? When nobody has asked you for forgiveness. I remember one day when we were going to preach in a prison. And we met this girl. And the girl says, you Bad, poor preachers, all sorts of an insult. How do you go to preach to the genociders and tell them to go to heaven? You want them to go to heaven with all they did? Let them go to hell. Don't preach to them. That shows you how far we had reached. Now, Rwandans have all reasons not to forgive. They have all reasons to be angry. Can you imagine... When you are there and you see somebody killing your own mother. Can you imagine if you are a child and somebody is killing your own parents in your own eyes? Can you imagine if you are a pastor and somebody comes and gets your people and puts them outside there and kills them one by one. And after that, things change. And now you have authority over him. You can also hit him. You can also kick him. What would you do? I am sure everybody will say, I will also kick him. I will also pinch him. I will bite him. I will kill him. That's the normal, natural reaction. But this is the step we have taken in Rwanda. We have said, we cannot remain there. We cannot remain there. We cannot remain there. Verse 13 says, bearing with one another... And forgiving one another. If anyone has any complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, so you also must do so. So the word of God asks us to forgive one another. How do you forgive somebody who did bad? Friends, I am here to tell you tonight, forgiveness is not a feeling You don't have to feel like forgiving. Oh, this evening, you know, I feel like forgiving. Oh, I feel good, so I have forgiven you. No. Forgiveness is a decision. Many times taken against all sorts of odds. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. That is one. Two, forgiveness does not depend... On somebody asking you for forgiveness. Many times we have to wait for people who longed us to come to us and say, Will you forgive me when I remember what I did to you? I feel like dying. Now will you forgive me? And he also begins to say, I am going to think about it. I will fast. Consult. I will ask the committee. We will ask if we can. We will call a board and see if we can forgive you. Anyway, I will think about it and maybe tomorrow I will forgive you. No, let's go back to verse 13. I would be happy if somebody asked me for forgiveness. But suppose nobody turns up to ask you for forgiveness. Verse 13 says, "Bearing with one another." And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. Now, Christ forgiving me, he did not fast wait for me to ask for forgiveness. He forgave me even before the foundations of the world were laid down. He made a decision to forgive me. So who am I to put a condition on forgiveness? Forgiveness is a decision. So even you who is listening to me tonight, it's time to forgive. Are you holding anything against anybody? It's time to forgive. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness is not a feeling. Forgiveness does not hold on a condition. Forgiveness does not depend upon the court's ruling. No. No. I don't have to forgive you because you have won a, you have won a law in the court, or you have won in the court. Forgiveness is a decision. Forgiveness has no time. Forgiveness is a decision. Two, forgiveness is a requirement that is asked to us uh, by, ask by the word of God. Let's try to proceed to verse 14. I understand Baptists have no problem if the preacher preached on Because the Baptists have been preaching for a long time anyway. Verse 14, but above all the things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Can we say hallelujah? He says, above all, put on love, because love is the bond of perfection. You know, Mrs. Charles made a wonderful cake for us. This evening. I'm sorry that you didn't taste it. I can, when I talk about a cake. I see some. You know. But you know. That cake was so special. Because it had a covering. Something very sweet. On the top. Chocolate. You see that? Now. That chocolate made it a perfect cake. And so here. In verse 14. It says. But above all these things. Put on love. Which is the bond of perfection. So. Love becomes the icing sugar that makes it the real concrete thing. Now, I don't have to love you because you love me. You see how far we have gone in Rwanda? We have reached a point where we have to make a decision to walk right with God by forgiving our friends and by loving them even when they don't want. Do you know? That somebody who has mastered hurting other people, if you are not careful, is going to hurt you again. But we are, we are required to love them. Can we move on a little bit? Verse 15. And let peace. <laughs> Look at this. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you are called in one body, and be thankful and in the Anglican church, when we are concluding our services, when I'm concluding the service on Sunday morning, I'll say what we call peace, the peace. My members don't go out until they have heard the word of peace and blessing. And in the we say, ima ni tanga. In English, it says that they made the peace of God that surpasses the understanding of all men. lure your hearts in Jesus Christ through our Lord. You know, when you're forgiven, and you have, when you have made a decision to forgive, when you have made a decision to, you know, a decision to forgive, that's number one. Number two, a decision to love. This is the outcome. The result is the peace of God. Got that. It is the peace of God that surpasses the understanding of all men. The reason why they say that it surpasses... I don't want to fall down on a Baptist pulpit. I may be in danger. (laughs) But the reason why they say... I must come near because this is getting very serious. The reason why they say that it is the peace of God that surpasses the understanding of men. It's because that peace comes at a time people don't expect it to come. It's not peace that is delivered from what you have done. But it is peace that has come from who? From God. It's called the peace of God. You get special peace. People will see you. You've been struggling. But of a sudden, you are peaceful. So when you forgive, your enemy, or the offender, when you take a decision to love them, then all of a sudden you get special peace. I don't know that peace because I don't manufacture it. Nobody else knows it because it's not manufactured. It is the peace of God that surpasses the understanding of all men. No man knows it because it is not manly peace. It's the peace of God that surpasses the understanding. It will come and rule your heart. You see, your heart is not going to be ruled by you anymore. Your thoughts are not going to be ruled by you anymore. Meaning, you, the monster you felt against somebody is going to begin reducing, and soon it will turn into nothing. It seems that this is the first time I'm finishing this. This, this verse. Let us read verse 16 and 17. In verse 16 says, Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Hallelujah. Allow the word of God to dwell in you richly. Let it sink down in you. Practice it. Sing it. Allow it to soak in you. You know, Richard was saying, Nathan, I don't know how you've been preaching. Yeah, simple thing. I just allow this, I read these words and allow them to sink in me. And so eventually, when you begin to talk, you are really shocked by the word of God. So allow the word. That's what Paul is telling you Colossians. Why don't you allow forgiveness and make a decision to forgive? You Colossians, why don't you laugh? And if you do those two things, then the peace of God that surpasses the understanding of all men, is going to come and rule you and your heart. And by doing that, just practice the word of God. Let it drain you richly. Friends, Christ went before us. Christ did all this before us. He was hurt by human beings. To the extent that they put him on the cross, that they shed his own blood, which we are, com- we are commemorating tonight. And eventually, they killed him. But on the very cross, he said, God, forgive them. Of the few words he said on the cross, he said, forgive. And when we are celebrating Holy Communion in the Anglican Church, we raise up the cup. I don't know how you do it in the Baptist. However you do it, I believe in it. But we raise up and we tell people, that, you know, this is in remembrance of him. So we do holy a communion in remembrance of him who died for us and rose on our behalf. So that we may live and live forevermore and enjoy life. So if he forgave us, who are we then to hold anything bad against anybody?